Hello and welcome to Duelist Community Raw, episode 22. I don't need drugs, but sometimes they're kind of fun to have <laughs> and fun to talk about too, and the impacts and and being able to let go of some of the stigmas that we have about that and just, I don't know, be curious about why they were even created in the first place. Just about the conversation as always. And like with any conversation, it's fun to have when you're not thinking about you know, what it necessarily means about you or the idea of you so much. Um, so yeah, drugs are cool sometimes. <laughs> and it's fun to get into a conversation, even when you don't necessarily know how to start that conversation. Even if you find yourself, you know, kind of hitting the ground over and over as you try to take off that plane, that's okay. Cause that's part of the fun because each and every time you do that, you're learning a skill. You're learning how to do that again, a little smoother each and every time. And that's really all it's about. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know what to say all the time. Your responses may not sound exactly as you'd like them to sound. That's okay too, because you're developing more understanding, not just of what you're talking about, but of yourself talking. And that's really the only point. And so this episode, especially, is in that vein. And what I mean is that we cover a lot of different conversations. We go all over the map in this episode. And it's because we enjoy going all over the map and having this conversation. We enjoy participating in the fluid reality that is our shared awareness. And so raw episodes especially are so much fun for me because people get to contribute. They get to leave comments. They, they get to actively influence the conversation, which is always always interesting for me because we don't know where it's going to go. And so we have to move on the fly and that reveals new insights to us. So thank you for everybody who could join us for our live shows. If you can't join us for the live shows themselves, do join us for a group conversation because this is where all the fun is at. We really appreciate you being here. So with all of that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream that is Dual Community Raw, episode 22. I got a question about weed and how you feel when when you smoke like you've said before that mushrooms you don't feel very much of a difference anymore uh yeah. what what's what's the difference between your sober feeling slash mentality and when you're on weed mm, that's a good question um i don't know i find once you get past the hallucinations on mushrooms once you stop marveling at how everything is just moving because it's so much more loose than you you're than you normally perceive it um i don't find mushrooms to be that different than just being hyper aware really like it's it's not like being high i, I think that's the thing that people tend to misinterpret about psychedelic mushrooms is that especially if you've never done them that you're getting high which is different smoking weed gets you high eating mushrooms just brings you closer to the present. And that's not necessarily being high. That, that's an intense experience. It's not the same, if that makes sense. It's, it's, it's very much different. Like there's work involved with mushrooms. You know, mind you, the same could be true for weed, depending on your mentality and the strain that you're smoking, right? Because a lot of people who are tense and tend to avoid weed, when they smoke weed, they realize, oh my God, I'm, I've got all these thoughts. I'm paranoid. People are judging me, blah, 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 blah. And they tend to blame it on the weed. And we've discussed this before where it's 
No, that's just your background thoughts that you normally are running too fast to hear. Right. So now you've slowed down. You're like, oh, wow, that's all the stuff I think. And yeah, that's that's tends to be a, a jarring experience for a lot of people. Um, but it's also really good practice. Right. It's really good practice because, again, it puts you in an alpha state, which is more of a meditative state. And so you can look at those thoughts without judgment so long as you can relax into it. But if you resist, then like psychedelics, it gets worse. Yeah, that's interesting because I find I found with weed as opposed to mushrooms that it is more of a moment to moment practice. Like and I'm curious, like. Why do you think that is? Because it can be it's almost uh, like forcing you to relax. And if you don't, then you experience, I don't know, some negative feelings that you perceive to be negative because now I have a much easier time with weed now than I did five years ago. Like it's significantly different. Like I was always someone who was like, no, weed makes me kind of paranoid. And it's funny saying that now because it's like, no, you're just paranoid. You're distracting yourself enough to avoid that paranoia. And weed like doesn't allow you to avoid it as much and but it's still more on it's almost like it's more on you with weed as opposed to mushrooms mushrooms is just like let go and that's it whereas weeds like you're still doing the work and mushrooms are kind of doing the work for you most of the time whereas weed is that sort of practice but i'm curious why that is i guess it's that feeling of being high if you're not used to it just because it's different it's uncertain it's like can be uncomfortable just because it's different but if you know that it's okay to feel that way then there won't be as much resistance to it well you don't feel as in control like i said you know on mushrooms after you peak and you hit your plateau you're like okay i got this i just got to slow down and pay attention I'll, I'll be fine whereas weed again it makes you kind of giggly it makes everything way less serious right so you're not so concerned with being in control often and that is uncomfortable right especially when our our habits are to be in control whether we realize that or not so yeah to some degree you're very right that with weed you have to go through it step by step and i was explaining this in a previous episode like with uh, psychedelics with mushrooms especially it's just accept or resist and whichever you do is going to send you down a path but with weed it's every step right except or resist until you get good at it until you just relax into it and then it becomes very much like psychedelics you're just relaxed you're just like right i'm high and you don't overthink it right and, which is, again is a really good tip for anybody who's on the far end of a psychedelic experience and they think it's overwhelming just remind yourself you're on psychedelics it helps Right. To go, right. There's a reason for this. And then you inevitably start your journey backwards, but you know, or back to where you were, which is a little bit more sober, a little less relaxed. Right. But that's it. It's just reminding yourself, like, right. There's a reason for this. It's not just, a, I, I didn't just drop into this and for no good reason. I walked my way here. Yeah. That makes sense. I, so I was, I was pretty baked at a restaurant the other day uh, with, 
my brother and I. And it's funny because when you're in that state, like we were we were sitting at the bar watching a sports game and just eating there. And so like the bartender wasn't super talkative. We were making jokes after about how we were having a, a tough time, like conversing. We were whispering back and forth like he's saying too many words for us right now. <laughs> and and then afterwards, like after we had left the restaurant, we were like looking back and we were like, he really wasn't that chatty. He really wasn't that chatty at all. We were just like too high to handle it. But I'm curious why that, not that we were too high to handle it. Like we were totally fine. We were just kind of like, I'd rather not have this conversation right now. And I'm curious why that is when when you're high like why sometimes if someone just starts talking a bunch you're just like there's that thought like i'm too high for this conversation right now uh, i'm curious why where that comes from i think it's just because we're not on the same wavelength or frequency with people it's the same reason again on psychedelics you don't go out and talk to people in a public setting for the most part you can if you're good at it and you've done it for long enough and you're like okay yeah i know my pace but for the most part you don't realize how much your pace has changed right and so they may not realize that you're high and they probably don't but to you everything is moving a little bit off from where you are and so you're just like i'm not sure what to do or what not to do like do i do too much or too little Right. And so you find yourself more in that, again, that kind of observer stance. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy cannabis is because you do sit back and kind of giggle at reality. And as long as you don't take it too seriously about the fact that you, you don't have that same sense of control, like I absolutely know what to do here. This is what's appropriate. That's not there anymore. Right. So if you relax into it, it's actually a lot of fun. And that's life in a nutshell, isn't it? Right. We just, get really tense going into situations and so we buckle down on this idea that i have control this is what the appropriate response is this is how i act this is how everybody else will act and the social norm is we all know how to act right and so all of a sudden cannabis or psychedelics change the pace and it changes how you act and that changes everything about what you're perceiving about the reality around you just because normally you're not thinking about it you take it for granted how well you do the the dance right but when you're not dancing at the same pace as everyone else it becomes really obvious to you it may not be to them because they're caught up in the dance but it's obvious to you yeah it's funny another another situation i've had was uh when i was back in new york my friend and i smoked a bunch like it was probably one of the most high i've ever been but i was this is only a few months ago so i was still very much like this is okay this is okay but it was little bit uncomfortable um and then we were going up to his apartment to watch some tv and these guys get in the elevator they'd been coming they had a bunch of they had like golf clubs and stuff i think they had been golfing all day and they uh they were super drunk like just hammered and i remember standing there just like oh no oh no this is not this is not the crew that's walking into this elevator right now and they're just like it almost felt like an out of body experience. Like they were coming in and I could see it as just two mentalities clashing as opposed to my buddy and I and three other guys interacting. It was like alcohol and, and all of the, I don't know, just lack of awareness was coming into this elevator that we were just like super high in. 
And it was very interesting because I just didn't say anything the whole time. I'm like, I'm not even going to try and interact. And and I think they asked us some questions. Maybe I I gave like one word responses. But uh, yeah, I was just like, just get me out of this right now. But I guess that's sort of still some resistance to reality. But it's just like, instead of a, you know, at the at the bar the other night where it's a guy who wasn't drunk at all, he was just talking like in a sober state and whatever state he was maybe in internally. But then it was like a further end of the spectrum with someone who was hammered drunk. And so it was like more of a more of a test almost. And it was fine. Like, I'm sure if I could see like the camera replay from the elevator, it was it was just like a super normal situation. But in my head, it was like so much stimulation happening at once to the point that I was almost got fuzzy with it. Like I almost kind of blacked out in a way. And I did when I was during that there was a point when i was with my friend that like i don't remember parts of it and i think it was because i was super high but i guess maybe because of some of my resistance still to being that high i'm not sure i would say more than likely the resistance to being that high for sure especially in a situation where you're feeling uncomfortable and there is such a stark contrast between your mentality and the mentality of those around you and you're in a tight little box which which is even better um but yeah, so that experience of disassociating, basically, this is what people get concerned about is that experience of all of a sudden you, it's like you, you go so internal, there is no external, like you're just not there, right? So in that experience, obviously you're still there, right? You're still standing in the elevator as it were, but your subjective experience has changed. So what's happening in that moment, right? Because it happens, it happens to all of us at some point. And people tend to be afraid of that. They're like, well, where'd I go? I, I don't think anything's changed. I think you're still processing. I think the only thing that's changed is your focus for a moment, right? Like you, you could be concerned about it or you can just recognize that, oh yeah, that's, that's an option. Like we can easily run to that part of our consciousness all the time, right? Or we can just tap into it, but it's, in, it's one of those. So this is where children go when they're traumatized, right? They go internal. Right to the point where the external ceases to be. That's their safety mechanism. But at the same time, that's also where you go when you meditate and you dream. Right. So it really is just why you're going there. And if you're avoiding anything, and if it's a detriment to your existence and reality around you, like I certainly don't recommend doing it while you're walking across the street. Right. But my question would be if it happened while you were walking across the street, because it does. I don't know if you go through this as well, but not like I'll walk down the street and all of a sudden, it's like I've went three steps and went, whoa. But I processed something. I know something went through. Right. And I'm okay. So is that just part of the flow? Would would I have went there had I not been safe? makes me makes me wonder yeah that's a good question if if everything is you know interconnected would it even be possible if you weren't in uh, a safe situation or knowing even even going beyond that the recognition that like all moments are here now 
like you already you already knew knew and you knew where you know three steps from now how that would be it's almost like you just kind of got there and if if you don't remember it happening or if you didn't experience it happening like did it happen right <laughs> yeah because apparently my body knew what to do yeah if it did happen right and for me if it didn't happen if somebody saw me it happened for them so ray is just once again playing his part but what about the awareness that drives ray like we talk about our awareness in our body and we know we can move our awareness around our body we know our awareness moves around our body all the time so what if those moments of disassociation is just where i'm moving around the rest of my body so i'm not so attached to ray I'm picking up pieces from the rest of me as it were putting something together we had a question i wanted to address it before we get too far um i'm afraid of i'm afraid shrooms will cause me to have a panic attack if i get confused how likely is that so here's the thing Often, when we panic, it's because we have a lot of reasons to panic. On mushrooms, it's less likely that you're going to panic because, frankly, you don't remember why you should. That's often the case, is that you get to this point where you're like, I don't know what's happening. Am I supposed to know what's happening? Do I ever know what's happening? And it changes you. It just it really puts you in that position where you're, you're just accepting the reality. So I would say the chances of you panicking are very slim. But that can also depend on your environment. I, I recommend, you know, if this is something that's new to you, have a calm environment, stay home, you know, make it easy on yourself, play some, some Pink Floyd or some nice music in the background, you know, put on some Brian Eno, whatever it is, but, you know, get a blanket, relax. That, that's really all it is. And you'll feel just fine. You really won't panic. Even the state of confusion, you'll, you'll be like, right, I'm confused, but I don't, I don't feel afraid. So you'll be okay. But it's when you're around people who don't respect the process or, or, or you know, you're in an environment where you're uncomfortable to begin with, and this is a new experience for you. I don't recommend any of that. That's not a lot of fun, right? But if you're by yourself or with a close friend or a guide or something like that, and you're in a quiet space that you feel safe in, you'll be fine. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, I think, I think that environment is important because mushrooms are already you know, uh, uh, experiencing of something brand new to you, most likely if, if it is the first time you've ever tried. So that's kind of enough probably for the first experience. You don't have to add all these other, you know, potential, potentially more, you know, uncertain types of situations like the mushrooms itself are going to cause you to be in a state of uncertainty and become okay with that. If you're also, you know, walking down the street or in a new environment that's uncertain with people who are new to you that's also uncertain and it's just like if you have five layers of uncertainty that can get pretty overwhelming and to the point where if you're not used to just being in one layer of uncertainty it can lead to a less comfortable experience doesn't mean you won't get through it and you'll be fine out the other end but usually you know taking the mushrooms is enough everything else stay inside do your do your thing be in a comfortable environment be in your bed or on a couch with a blanket and just kind of chilling without too much make sure you schedule uh your day out so you don't have 
meetings later that all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I have a meeting later. Oh shit, am I still going to be high? Oh shit, like blah, blah, blah. You know, so open up the day for you. But yeah, with, with all of that, understanding that you are going to feel different and whatever you feel is perfectly appropriate, perfectly normal, however uncomfortable it may feel, as long as you can be like, okay, this is a lot different. This is kind of uncomfortable and that's okay. You'll be fine. Yeah. Faith, all that, right? You're you're far more capable than you think you are. Just respect, again, the environment and the fact that you're ultimately going to feel a bit more sensitive for a little bit, but it, it really does become something you get used to fairly quickly. As long as you just relax into it. But you'll notice there is a consistent recommendation, a blanket. Definitely have yourself a blanket. If you can, make it one of those fuzzy blankets that's super warm, but not very thick. That's just my suggestion, just because you can wrap yourself in it and it gets warm, but you can take it off very quickly. Or if you want to just remove it, it's, it's nice. It's adjustable is what I'm saying, because you're going to go through a lot of that. And that's what I've got for uh, suggestions on psychedelics. If nobody else has any other questions, I'm going to pass this over to Andrew because I had some notes about another question and I just need to pull it up. Sounds good. Yeah, I think a DU tripping blanket could be... I'm writing that down. Another solid piece of merch. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Even like a, a, what are they, Snuggy type things with the with the arms. Those make it easy. That'll be nice and nice and comfortable for a trip. Uh, but yeah, just like some super soft thing. That would be that would be awesome. But uh, okay, so that's dope. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Make a note of that. That's something that's yeah. in the works. That's one of the things I really love about dualistic unity. And somebody was mentioning this to me this morning. You guys have to be having so much fun just creating all of this stuff. And we really are. We really are having fun just having this conversation every day, saying things, throwing it out there, seeing what happens and, and creating new ways to interact with everyone. Oh, speaking of which, there's a workshop coming up on February 4th and 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. This workshop is specifically about dating and relationships. So you're going to get two different perspectives in this workshop. One from Andrew, who is still 27 and single and actively you know, dating from time to time. And me, who's been married for 19 years. So I guess you could say I successfully dated Uh, yeah, that one's that one's gonna be a lot of fun because I think that's something that a lot of people have concerns about. Like it's such a massive part of our society finding finding the one. It's such so interesting how much weight we place on that, and the like. A lot of our stress is self created and based on societal expectations that are completely made up. Especially, you know, the idea of being with someone for the rest of your life and needing that in order to be more complete. And so a big part of, of dating happens, you know, before you ever go on a date, it's, it's becoming comfortable. And we'll, you know, we'll get into this in the workshop. I don't want to, I don't want to spend a whole episode going into dating like we did with the, with the coaching stuff a bit. Um, but I guess that was more relationships, I think. But um, anyway, I think there is uh, a lot, to do before you go on a date that allows you to actually just enjoy the experience of being with someone like dating is not supposed to be this super high stress like 
oh, are you the one? Find out after one or two or three dates. Like, it's supposed to be an enjoyable experience with interacting with someone else, finding out more about another iteration of yourself. <laughs> and when it becomes more than that, like, you lose your awareness to a degree when you settle upon this need that you need someone because then everyone you interact with there's the concern and there's the expectation there's the, the desire for this person to be the perfect one like that's so much fucking pressure on a dinner or on a couple drinks that you get but anyway i'm gonna cut it right there um if you are interested in chatting more about this we got a workshop coming up soon <laughs> and tickets are available on the website as of this morning so you can find them in the workshops section do remember that our patreon supporters do get discounts on all of our workshops and so if you'd like to get a discount join us on patreon and there's a bunch of other benefits to joining us on patreon specifically right now the fact that our netherlands retreat is also on sale specifically only to tier three supporters at the moment as of friday it will be tier two supporters and previous retreat guests will get access to tickets in the netherlands and then tier one and then the week after that it's going to be for the general public we're really excited about this event we've already had a couple of tickets that have been grabbed by our tier three supporters and we're really grateful to them for doing so um, it's going to be fantastic it's going to be the biggest dualistic unity event that has that has happened so far which is really exciting. There's going to be 34 guests, all in all, not counting myself and Andrew, and of course, my wife, Melissa, who will be offering her own insights into life as a whole. She is a clinical counselor. She has a wealth of experience in terms of helping people find themselves, and she has been an inspiration to me for years, and so I'm really looking forward to everybody in the community getting to meet her. Of course, we're also going to be joined by our uh, our administrative partner, Amanda, who we are also very excited to see again. If you haven't met Amanda yet, definitely join us on our Discord because she's always in there sharing insights and love and keeping the vibe alive. Uh, Amanda, if you're here, good morning. Glad that you're able to join us. Absolutely. Um, aside from that, I think that's pretty much all the announcements, but we do have some more questions regarding psychedelics. So am I going to get a crazy idea to cook something and then burn the house down. Well, I run into the street and go streaking. I just don't know what to expect. And there's a laugh out loud in there. So we know that this isn't necessarily a serious question, but it is a good question. And so I would say, and this is my recommendation, specifically regarding cooking or candles, don't. For at least the first two hours, just don't. And the reason is just because you're going to have difficulty keeping track of the cooking. You're probably not going to set the house on fire because you're going to be very careful, but you may end up scorching your entire whatever it is to the bottom of the pan on minimum just because you've been watching it for an hour. That does happen. You see, on mushrooms, your concept of time does disappear. And so five minutes and eternity are not really that different, depending how deep you go. So I don't recommend cooking until you have some semblance of time again. Usually that's after the first two hours. Those first two hours really do respect that as the ascent to that peak. And then the slow, gradual decline to, a, to like a plateau, where now you don't feel like you're firmly just going through something. You, you have some semblance of yourself again. Respect the peak. 
is what I'm saying. After that, cooking is optional, but you will tend to be more careful. Now, this is for, and this ties to our next question, dosages. This is for specifically dosages under like a gram and a half. If you're doing over a gram and a half, don't cook. Don't light fires, don't do candles, don't do any of that. Okay, especially if you don't know what you're doing, if you haven't done it before, it's just not a smart idea. And it's not because you're a danger to yourself and others, but again, again, because your concept of time is out the window. You won't necessarily be paying attention until something is happening. And that's the thing about mushrooms. You're very present. It's a different experience. And so go into it with that mentality. Go into it with the experience of, right, I may forget what I was doing 60 seconds ago, because you probably will. Yeah, that was going to be my point that it's it's a lot harder to keep track of things because you're not in your mind, in your head so much. Like their mind is a tool. It's a fantastic tool, like fantastic servant, terrible master, um, that whole thing. But when you're going about your day to day, I don't think we always recognize how much we're keeping in here that's actually beneficial. Like for me, I write a lot of things down and like we'll keep alarms and stuff just because I don't want to keep as many things in my head because once you get a couple things in there, it's like odds are you're going to drop one of them on mushrooms. It's like really hard to keep anything in there at all. So you start cooking something. It, it's not going to always go over super well. And you just aren't as careful. There's so much less concern. So like all I remember, like just like the the only thing I'll do is like fill up my water bottle a bunch when I'm on a higher dose and I'll spill it on the floor and just be like, Oh, oops. And just grab a towel and just like wipe it up. And there's no concern, but there's also no, there there's very little carefulness for those things. So if you are cooking, you may just like spill a bunch of stuff on the floor as Ray said, burn something. And there there's going to be a lot less care. Also, I don't find that I'm always, very hungry on mushrooms or like food isn't necessarily my first thought at least going through up to the peak and even towards the end towards the end after like four or five hours a lot of times there's thoughts of like ah some food would be sounds really good right now but usually it's like fruit and and healthier stuff um but yeah in terms of what you can do on mushrooms just like enjoy the experience. Don't try and do so many things at once, like set aside six hours where you don't have to do anything. If you want to eat a little bit before go for it. I kind of like going on an empty stomach. Um, it hits, it hits a little harder maybe. Um, and there's also, I think less concern, I guess sometimes with people, they have a tough time digesting sometimes like having some, a little bit of food beforehand can be, can be helpful. But I also find, I find it interesting. I guess this brings up a question. I think we've, we kind of addressed that one enough, but uh, with digesting, like I've found that a lot of times when people are resistant or hesitant to taking mushrooms, they have a much more difficult time digesting the mushrooms. Like every time, whenever I'm with someone who's like, little unsure. And I'm like, Oh, you'll be fine. Or okay, whatever. They always have a tough time digesting it like kind of turns them off to it, which is, it's so interesting because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I've the only time I ever have a tough time digesting 
is when someone I'm with is having a tough time digesting. Like I feel a little bit of what they're feeling. Not, I know that it's temporary and I know that it's just something that happens and there's nothing wrong with it. And as long as you know that there's never anything wrong with anything you're going through while you're tripping, like you'll be totally fine. But I, I find it interesting that it's pretty consistent that people who are hesitant have a tougher time digesting. And I always just reinforce that there's nothing wrong. That's totally normal to have a tougher time digesting because as soon as they think it's wrong or they shouldn't be feeling it, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse. And I find it interesting that it's always the thing that you think shouldn't be happening gets worse a lot of times with with mushrooms, whatever it is. It's just digesting is a common one, but it goes for for anything. So it's always just important to keep in mind that whatever you're going through, there's nothing wrong with it. But I don't know. Have you had experience with people digest like having a very difficult time digesting? And is it correlated to how hesitant they are to take them? Almost consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it has something to do with them drinking too much or something like that before they ate the mushrooms. Like, yeah, that's that's definitely not going to work for you. Right. But um, no, almost always it's the resistance to the experience of being on psychedelics. And then it translates into almost an over concern for the stomach. Like it's almost like they're looking for something that's wrong. And as a result, they're going to find it. Right. And it's not like your stomach's always doing something. You could focus on your stomach at any point. And if you're uncomfortable, you can get uncomfortable about what it's doing because it's always doing something. But on mushrooms, because your attention is that much, much more focused and your perception is that much more influential over your experience. Yeah, I, I think it's largely to do with the resistance because I, I don't experience any of that when it, when it comes to, to mushrooms at all. Like there hasn't been any gut rot or anything like that for me forever like for the longest time. And it's largely just because I don't resist the experience. I recognize like, you know, I'm eating a certain thing. And another thing I'll mention actually, that also does depend on dose. Sometimes when you get up to a higher dose and you're not used to it, yeah, that, that can mess with your stomach a little bit. But normally it's pretty fleeting because the experience of psychedelics is really moving beyond the physical experience, right? To a very large degree, but that means relaxing as well right? Like you can get into your physical body when you're, when you're on psychedelics, when you're on mushrooms, but to do so looking for a concern changes your experience. Whereas just sinking into it and allowing yourself to feel it is actually really quite transformative. Yeah. It's like going through, it's like using it as an opportunity to accept something despite how uncomfortable it is. So it makes you wonder if anytime someone's going through that, it's just a opportunity that the mushrooms are showing you to accept something in the face of going through it. Or even I've wondered this, if people who have a difficult time physically with them, if a lot of times they're caught up in a lot of unnecessary stress in their day-to-day -day life, like when they're sober. And so it's almost like, I don't know, maybe this could be the case that mushrooms are showing them that their sober life isn't so stressful like they're almost they're like oh you think that's stressful all that dumb shit that you're focused on that doesn't actually matter at all here's something to actually get stressed about i'm gonna make you super fucking uncomfortable right now so then as much as the trip someone could perceive that as like a bad trip you come out the other end and you, know, you see things a little bit differently and so again you can't label it as a bad trip and i I don't know. I kind of, I would argue, obviously people can have really 
uncomfortable, difficult experiences, but in terms of there being an objectively bad trip is such a silo. It's like any situation labeling it as bad. Like if it leads to you seeing things a little bit differently, that actually helps you feel a little bit more at peace and free in your life. You can't say it's a bad trip. Yeah, it's true to some degree. I, I, I'm going to say that there are such thing as a, a trip that, that isn't necessarily bad, but unnecessarily rough. Let's just say so. Specifically, I'm talking about hanging out with younger, more immature people who don't necessarily understand what a trip is for, and they're looking for the entertainment value, and they tend to make it about the party, or they make it about the practical jokes, or they make it about just generally being an ass, and as a result, your trip goes sideways because you don't have that chance to reflect, you don't feel safe, you don't have your space and all of that, and so it changes that, and in, in that case, I would say that a trip could definitely be viewed as bad. Like, oh, I had a terrible trip. Yeah, a lot of that might be environment and the people you're hanging out with, right? And then some of it, you're right. Some of it is just the fact that it's almost like there's a process that we've been putting off. You know, in those moments where all of a sudden, like even on, on weed, for example, when you get super paranoid, it's like, right, because you haven't been looking at it, right? Well, mushrooms, it's kind of the same thing. Like if you suddenly go into a spiral of resistance and, and, and discomfort and looking at your life and reflecting on things and you're judging yourself and all that, that's probably something that's been waiting to happen for a long time that you've been putting off. And mushrooms are just more or less uncorking the bottleneck. Right. Like it's just making it so that flow can happen a lot faster. It's unpleasant if you're resisting it. Otherwise, it's quite cathartic, which is why on mushrooms, a lot of people tend to cry. Right. Like, and there, it's a different type of crying. It's not like the crying of, oh, I'm so sad, but it's like shedding weight. That's exactly what it feels like. And it's a fantastic experience. But if you're resisting it, then you're not going to get as much out of it. If you're not aware of the fact that each and every moment of your life has been you changing and you think some change is good and some change is bad and you're resisting it based on your judgments and your preferences, that's not going to go well for you. You really do have to just let go and accept that at the end of this, you will have processed a bunch of stuff and you will feel better as a result one way or another. Yeah, crying almost feels like uh, a release in a way, as opposed to, it's like, you're aware of the tears, more aware of the tears coming out instead of like being the one that's crying. It's, it's, you're seeing that this I idea of yourself, this identity is being shed and the tears are almost a, uh, embodiment or, or reflection of that weight being dropped, um, or, or that release happening. But uh, I, I'm seeing a couple more questions regarding uh, the mushrooms. Someone asked, uh, late to the game, what do you consider a tripping dose? That's a great question because it's very much going to depend on your sober mentality, your experience with it, how many layers you have in your sober mentality. Like, you know, I, I know... Ray has said that his experience on half a gram versus three grams really isn't too much different. And it's also not too much different than a sober experience. And I've had some experiences on, like if I take half a gram now, like I'm very much back in the throes of it. Like it, it's, it's how close you are to it sober 
kind of dictates how little you need to be back in the thick of it. Whereas someone who has a lot of layers, which what I mean by that is they, they have very concrete beliefs. They cling to lots of false senses of certainty. They have this idea of themselves that is very solid and all of these kind of hard and fast. This is the right way to be. This is, there is right and wrong. There is good and bad, all this stuff. They're very closed-minded. They're probably going to need, I don't know, at least three grams to, to peel that back. I would say two and a half to three, two and a half, three, three and a half grams. Like everyone's going to feel that. I would say at least three grams, like you're going to be, you're going to be tripping. Like that's going to be enough to peel the most solidified, closed-minded person back. Um, for, for the average person, I'd say probably at least two grams is a solid dose to, to get into that state. But I would say if you really want to like definitely trip three grams, at least. Yeah, that'll definitely open the door for you for sure. Because at, at three, three and a half grams, you're letting go one way or another. And, and enough of your strings have been cut that your preferences are out the window. So you really are just sitting in uncertainty without any preconception about what that means. And that's the experience of psychedelics. That really is the lesson in them. And you can learn that lesson all the time. As Andrew was saying, it, it largely depends on where you are in your day-to-day -day, quote unquote sober life, right? Because psychedelics only teach you that letting go is okay that's really the lesson that you can let go that you don't always have to feel in control you don't always have to be thinking about yourself you don't always have to be existing in the narrative of space and time and everything that that gives you that false sense of certainty of who you are and where you are and what's happening where you're going where you've been and all that other fun stuff you you may not realize it but that's all processing all the time and 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 you rely on it well, all of a sudden psychedelics come along and they cut all of those strings. So all of that narrative about where you are and when you are and where you and what you are and who you are and all that is gone. And you're left with the reality of being here now. And I don't mean you being here now. I mean, actually being the experience of here and now. That's what opens up for you. And if you can take that lesson with you, then the rest of your life becomes a lesson in just relaxing into what you've always been. And that's very much the point of dualistic unity of our podcast as a whole is relaxing into what you already are. It's the same lesson, right? So this is why I've said before, psychedelics aren't necessary. But as Andrew is pointing out, the deeper in that narrative you are, the more you rely on it without actually recognizing that you do, the more helpful they are because they will cut those strings and remind you, oh, shit, right. This isn't actually the truth. It's just something that I've learned to habitually think of as truth. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then and then regarding uh, how small of a dosage I took when I started, um, I'll throw it over to Ray after this too. But I when I first tried it, uh, I think I took... I took like 0.2, but then I was like kind of feeling something. I was like, oh, I'll take a little more. And then I took another 0.4. So I think first time it was like 0.6. And then I think the next day 
I took like one and a half. And then two days later, I took three or something. I was just like, I just want to see what all I kind of built up because I I was super unsure. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I never tried them before. So um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with starting small. Like there's no reason to just like dive headfirst into it. Like you can get your feet wet a little bit, especially if you have massive stigmas about mushrooms, about psychedelics, like there, I mean, there's people out there who think you're going to take a tiny little bit and you're going to start seeing ghosts. Like it's not even, you take three grams and you might see something, you know, when your eyes are closed, but everything, when your eyes are open, it's just going to probably be moving around a lot. But, uh, yeah. So just understanding that it's not, it's almost definitely not what you think it is when you take them, like you're going to be a little bit more relaxed Mine's going to be a little bit quieter. Uh, you're going to be able to be a little bit more aware of just where you're at present moment. Um, and so starting out with a microdose, you know, quarter gram, half gram, and kind of working your way up from there over course of a, a number of weeks, I think is a great way to start. There is sort of a, almost like a chasm, I think somewhere between one and a half to three grams is kind of where it'll depend on on your mentality that it's a different type of experience it goes from kind of still having a decent amount of yourself there being relaxed to just embodying relaxation without so much of yourself being there um and so that's the difference between like a, a full trip and more of like a micro to mid dose but yeah, starting small, nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, at all. On the other hand, I'm older. And uh, when I was, I don't know, first encountering psychedelics and mushrooms, I'd never heard of the expression microdosing. In fact, when I first heard the expression microdosing like five years ago, I was like, that's adorable. That's, that's, that's great. Like I'd never, I had never thought it, it, it never dawned on me to think of segmenting it into like, decimal points before then so when i first started it was well my first trip was four and a half right and that was that was an experience i don't recommend to first timers by any means because nothing made any sense in four and a half grams right you're just sitting in in, in your room kind of just waiting for things to make sense and it's not that you're panicking by any means but you're definitely in a state of mind where you're just like right nothing's what it ever is and you're not sure what to do. So for me, that was that was my introduction. It was a deep dive. And then I was too young to appreciate it at the time. I was in a very dark place in my mind. All it really did was add to the idea that maybe I could escape my hell. So I didn't go back to mushrooms because you can't escape your hell in mushrooms. But there are other drugs that make you feel just as, as lost in the experience. And so I, I went towards them and I avoided mushrooms for years. And I didn't know why I avoided mushrooms for years because I remember the experience and the visuals and the giggles and all that, that was a lot of fun. But there was something about it that, that seemed almost too deep and too intimate. Like I was, I was digging too much at myself and it made me uncomfortable because again, I was firmly locked in depression at that specific point in time. And so I, I don't think I was ready for them. I wasn't, I didn't have that maturity to appreciate what they were. And then years later, when they did come back into my life for the first time, 
that was also like a three and a half, four grand trip. But this time it was different because I wasn't going into it like, woo, let's party. Like I, I was way more mature about it. I was more or less going into it because why not? Let's see what I can look at. And uh, it was in that that I started recognizing that it's, it's a tool for self-reflection. It's not like ecstasy. It's not like acid. It's not like cocaine. It's not like any of those other drugs. It really isn't. It's a tool for self-reflection that cuts out all of the toxicity that you've built out over time, built up over time and puts you back in the moment in reality. So for me, it was a large dose to start. And then as I got used to those from time to time, I started recognizing I didn't need to do them anymore. And so I, I started lowering my dosage and that started me down the path of recognizing that psychedelics and relaxation or, or rather being high and being relaxed are synonymous. They're the same thing, right? The more relaxed you are, the more high you get. That's really it. And so that's, that's the practice. And so over time I've, I've reduced the dosage almost well to the point where I don't, I don't actually eat them anymore for the most part on my own, because I, I don't need to. Uh, what did you mean when you said you can't escape your hell on mushrooms? What is it? What do you mean by that? Um, it's, I think it's because you start scrambling for the habits. And when you reach for that habitual, like self narrative, for example, like, as you're like, I don't like this, what do I normally think about myself? And you reach for the, the way you try to think about yourself. Most of the time, you suddenly have to look at why you're reaching for it. Right. And it changes the level of awareness with which you are interacting with your inner conscious environment. You're not just reaching for things to feel better. You may be, but you're, there's no way you can avoid understanding why you're reaching for it. That's the thing about slowing down. You become more aware of everything that you do. And so this is why I say like on mushrooms, there's no way to avoid your hell. It stops being hell, but you can't avoid it. Like it's there because you haven't processed it. It's there because you've been avoiding it. What's nice about mushrooms is that they remove your, your judgment of it. You're just like, oh, oh, and it just, you just keep taking it in. That's why it's funny. This often happens. You'll hear people on a larger dose and, and they'll, they'll do like, no, 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 no. Oh, and then there's that change in their tone. And it's just because they're resisting, they're resisting, they're resisting. Like couldn't be, couldn't be, couldn't be. And then bam, there's that insight where they're finally like, fine, I'll just surrender into it. And that process is so much easier on mushrooms. It really is. If it's something that you've been avoiding habitually because you're afraid and you have no faith in yourself, that really is the experience that, that they can help you with. But again, it's understanding that it's not comfortable necessarily and it's not because you've been putting it off the discomfort is largely just because you've been putting it off it's kind of like going to the weight for going to the gym for the first time in like 30 years right it's uncomfortable at first because you haven't been doing it yeah that makes sense that it, it shows you what you're dealing with but does make it easier and kind of allows you almost allows you like a I don't know, escape hatch. I don't know what the what the right sort of thing would be for this, that you can see it without all of the opinions and, and judgments. And so like though, because those are always going to distort the situation too, what you're going through is is entirely distorted by your perception of yourself that you think that this experience means something about. 
And so on mushrooms, it allows you to see, oh, this doesn't mean as much about me, but it's still the shit I'm going through. And maybe you see some ways to start to deal with it and and manage it. But it gives you that opportunity. It doesn't do it for you, I think, which is another important thing for people to keep in mind. Is It's not just going to solve all of your problems. It's going to give you an opportunity to work on them maybe a little bit more easily or at least see them so that you can work on them in more clarity. Because when you're caught up in it and you think it means so much about you and you're reinforcing that idea of you trying to keep that around because you would rather be sure about a negative idea of yourself than unsure about what you are, it's really hard to see things with any clarity whatsoever in that state. And so mushrooms really just allow you to see things a little bit more clearly and then let them go. You can still let them go in the trip, but then, you know, there's still much work to be done outside of that because as much as you can let them go internally during the trip, there's still like the external physical letting go outside of the trip of whatever situation you're in. So you can allow it to, to kind of pass and work on it while you're tripping, but then the actions of it happen after the trip when you're sober. Interesting. I was just thinking about the fact that there really is this transition that happens where you first start experimenting with psychedelics and let's just take an individual trip, right? Like I was saying earlier about the peak. In that peak, it's like they're teaching you. Really is. You're just along for the ride. And then after which you kind of come back to being a little bit more you. And at that point, they're a tool. Now you can explore everything you learned on that ride. That's a fantastic and, and really fascinating transition there. But I think that that actually scales out as well. And what I mean is that I don't typically have that same experience of having a peak anymore. And what I mean is that the peak is often the transition through your resistance to that state of being present. We call it a peak because it's it's the most intense, it's intense based on our resistance and how deep we're going, right? But if you're not resistant, then really you, you're not really going anywhere so much as just settling deeper into the present, which you've always been in anyway. And so again, it's like they've taught you your lesson. So now you don't have to go through that, that class that starts the trip. They're just like, welcome, enjoy yourself. And that's more or less it. But I think that's so very interesting that they really do take on the role of almost informing you. And that makes me think as well, because so mushrooms, mycelium, fungus as a whole is a powerful force in the world, you know, like penicillin, everything really largely comes down to fungus to some degree. There are ants that can be, um, taken over by a fungus like there's a specific kind of fungus that will get inside the uh the body of an ant and take over its mind and actually start slowly replacing some of its body parts to keep it alive as as its own kind of drone and so the mushroom actually uses the the organism to further itself and mushrooms are connected to everything without mycelium there would be no life right 
And so it kind of makes you wonder, are they teaching us? Is there actually some kind of a relationship there that we have forgotten? Because we are close, closely rela related to mushrooms, right? Humans have like, what is it, 50% shared DNA with mushrooms, right? So we're really not that far. I mean, everything eventually comes back to mushrooms, right? Somebody was making the point recently that we are actually more closely related to mushrooms than green plants are related to mushrooms. That we actually went off into two different evolutionary tracks, but we are actually closer to the mushrooms, right? This is why, you know, some mushrooms are, are well, uh, it was Neil deGrasse Tyson who was making the, the point about uh, portobello mushrooms, that when you cook them up, they taste meaty. Right? Like, that's really interesting, right? But the point is, is that, is there a relationship there? with mycelium, with mushrooms as a whole, we know they have numerous beneficial effects on our body. There's so many different types of mushrooms. Uh, Paul Stamets, perfect example of somebody you'd want to reference in terms of this. That man himself is, has discovered dozens of different types of mushrooms with different beneficial impacts on the human body. So there's a close, close connection there. And I think that we almost disregard that. And I think a large part of us disregarding that is, is the fact that we reject the natural world we want this this idea of control and mushrooms definitely take that that illusion away isn't it interesting how often on a on a psychedelic trip or on a mushroom trip specifically you will have a, a memory surface of your childhood say of somebody who was abusing you or or somebody that uh, did something to you in the past and rather than fixate on how it affected you all of a sudden your brain will go Right, but why would they do that? And you'll almost look at their role in a non-judgmental way, in a way that you weren't able to do previously. And so there's so many things that are happening there. The first of which is that your judgment's gone. Why is your judgment gone? Well, because you're no longer thinking about yourself, right? So now you're able to look at that same memory in a completely different way. Why is that memory surfacing? Well, because it's part of the process of whatever it is you're learning right now. So again, that bottleneck is opened up. So you're going through this and all of a sudden now, because you're not in the way, because you're not trying to solve something, because you're trying to not, to, you're not trying to feel better. You have the ability to see the other players in that memory and empathize with where they're coming from, because you can relate to where they're coming from, because you feel just as uncertain in that present moment. How often does that happen on a psychedelic trip? This is why every psychedelic trip is largely profound. Everybody shares the same thing. It was profound in one way or another. Why? Why was it profound? Because you're not in the way. Life is profound every single moment. But there are certain things that we do that stop us from seeing it. Right? They keep us limited to a very narrow point of view. And that point of view is the root of a lot of our suffering. Yeah, I mean, that that reminds me a lot of the trip that I had where I went back to seventh grade and went further back to my teacher's past. And it just went kind of right through. So I, I mentioned this on an episode, but yeah, it was like went back to seventh grade, had an experience where I didn't get a great grade on a test. Like I got a C or a D or something. And the teacher like make, made fun of me in front of the whole class. And uh, so I was able to kind of re-experience that. And it was, it was very interesting because I never could remember seventh grade. I always 
could remember things from sixth grade, eighth grade, never from seventh grade. And I recognized that was kind of the first time that I ever felt intensely embarrassed and like, you know, unworthy. And I think it was sort of the root of a lot of the experiences that I had moving forward in my life. But I was actually able to go back into that teacher's past and see that you know, when he was younger and I'm like, I'm always super skeptical about everything. So even this experience, I was like, was it? And like, does it matter? I guess is, is the point of, I didn't even explain it, but I went back into his past and saw when he was younger, he was very, very small man. Um, he got made fun of for his height a lot. And there was a, a bully who looked just like me when he was younger. And cause it never made sense as to why he would pick on a 12 year old, um, in this class, like, and he's like 60. Uh, and so I was able to see that and it made sense as to why he would have picked on me and understanding that, like, <laughs> it's interesting too, because understanding even that this physical reality, you know, is, is maybe not as real as we think, like real in the, in the sense how we're like, oh, this is real. Everything else isn't real. Like that situation that I saw on my trip was just as real as any of the experiences that he had as a kid as well. And so it was a way for my mind, the mind, one mind <laughs> to process the situation and kind of show me in some way, shape or form that his making fun of me had nothing to do with me and just had to do with him. And so, like Ray was saying, you're able to go beyond with yourself out of the way, see and, and experience the empathy because you're experiencing. I experienced that when he was a kid as him getting made fun of. And so it made sense as to why he would still hold on to that throughout his entire life and kind of express that insecurity in a way that causes another kid to feel insecure. It just so happened to be my experience. And it's, it's fascinating now how they're able to the mushrooms, like take you back and just experience something and show you something. And it was very interesting too, because going into that situation, like it was a lot of scary imagery going into that, re-experiencing that situation. And as much as the situation may not have seemed like a huge deal, like I was 12 and I think it, was a thing that sort of impacted me for the rest of my teenage years through the rest of my life until that trip. I, I think I let a lot of that go, but going into it, like it was flames. It was kind of like hell imagery. And I mean, part of it could be 12 years old. You're in the thick of building your identity, you know, building that ego, which can be seen as the devil, the egotistical, you know, collective ego. So it was like that was as the sort of hell of the idea of myself was being built. I haven't thought about it like that before, but yeah, it's really interesting how you're able to see things from just a completely new perspective and from other perspectives of yourself, you know, the person who did it. And, and so you are able to experience that empathy and someone maybe it was on the, the podcast we were on recently uh, or was it a comment on something? I don't know how they said that uh, it can be harmful for someone to see themselves in someone else, you know, harmful for someone who is abused to see themselves in the abuser. And 
I find that to be very much the opposite. Like that is empathy, being able to see yourself in the abuser, see where they're coming from or anyone who makes fun of you or bullies you or anything, being able to see yourself in them is the first step towards healing because you let go of that resistance to the situation at hand. You allow yourself to see where that person was coming from and through that experience, empathy towards them and let go of the trauma that was caused by that situation. So it's incredibly important to see yourself in someone else. It's it's vital to moving beyond those types of traumatic experiences. I think that's, I don't know if it's the first step or the last step, or if that's irrelevant to seeing, like being able to see yourself in that person. Like it's not an easy thing to do by any means, especially if it's very traumatic. But once you do, a lot of that weight is able to be dropped and you realize like, oh, they were dealing with their shit, you know, hurt people, hurt people. They were coming from somewhere and you're able to let that go and recognize again that it never had anything to do with you. That was actually uh, our discussion on the Bridge the Gap podcast with uh, Oliver and Zach. And the point that they were making was that the concept that we are one, that you are everyone, can be damaging to somebody who has been abused because then they have to recognize that they are their abuser. And I think the problem there is that they're coming, they're coming at that from the high-minded conceptualism rather than the internal work that you're talking about. And what I mean is that somebody who's been abused, who comes across the belief that we're all one, has to look at their abuser and go, well, I don't want to be that. I'm not that. That person's an asshole. Like, fuck that guy, right? And, and so that's traumatic to somebody who's been abused, who looks at that person as a villain, that looks at a person as a monster. You don't want to see yourself as a monster. You don't want to see the monster within. And so their point was, well, isn't the belief that we're all one setting us back? Like seeing everybody as one thing, isn't that damaging? And this is where it's so important to recognize the difference between looking at the concept and trying to be the concept or allowing yourself to recognize the reality. Andrew and I almost never tell people, you know, we're all one when it comes to just normal conversation. You know, we might say it, but we don't want you to believe it. Question it by all means, because the point isn't to recognize or the point isn't to believe we're all one. It's not to look at people and go, that person's me and that person's me and that person's me. The point is to get rid of the idea of me. The point is to question the concept of who you think you are, why you got there, why you think the things you do, why you judge the way you do, until you start to recognize that everyone is in the same boat. Everyone is here now as I in a perpetual state of uncertainty. And in that, you start to recognize that those monsters, those people who have hurt you and hurt others, have done so because they're afraid and they're lost and they're lost and they're confused and they're hurting and they're suffering and they may have never had somebody to help them out. They may have never had an environment to help change that path. And so suddenly, because you recognize you're not the narrative of yourself that makes you feel better, that you are still the same awareness you were when you started, you recognize that everybody else is. And that's where you see where, that we're one. 
It's not that you believe it. It's that you actually see it because you've torn yourself down to the point where you recognize, right, there is no actual separation, just this narrative that I've held on to for some false sense of certainty and control and value. Right? It never gave you value. Once you start recognizing that, then that's where you can really start to empathize. Once you start getting rid of your story. But so long as that story is there, you will always see others as monsters. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be through your perception of yourself, the letting go of that. And that's uh, we were talking before about um, like seeing ourselves as separate from nature and with, you know, mushrooms and plants and sort of the the ancestry there, you know, going back millions, billions of years. Like we, we see ourselves because of the stories that we tell ourselves. And it's not just the individual story but it's the collective story too and we see ourselves as humans as just this entirely it's like there's nature and the world and earth and everything and then there's humans over here and that's reinforced by the individual narratives we tell ourselves but also our collective narrative and so we're not able to see something like being ancestors to mushrooms and and sort of the embodiment of the intelligence that comes with that and through that you know especially if you're familiar with experiencing mushrooms you see that they're just especially psychedelic mushrooms they're they're kind of chock full of this deeper intelligence that they as we were saying before as you peak they're kind of taking you for a ride and almost talking to you in a way and and showing you things like especially some of my earlier trips felt like i was getting talked to the whole time, like everything just is, everything just is. It's not that serious. It's not that serious. Blah, 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 blah. And they're kind of like laughing at me in a way for taking things so seriously. And to a point where I, there was a couple trips where I was just dying laughing on my bed, just like rolling around at the absurdity of how seriously people take this. But it's the narratives we tell ourselves, it's the stories, it's the idea that we are. The human race is something that is completely separate from everything else. And that informs everything. Like our fear of death is rooted in that perception of division from everything else and not being able to recognize that we're just reality. Because in order to see that you're just reality, you have to see that you're all of the other things. You can't perceive yourself as a human separate from anything, let alone, you know, this individual human with a story that is separate from everything and it's it's that's i mean we we talk about this all the time but like it's that story that reinforces the fear of death that so it's so many people's biggest fear is the fear of death and as much as there's ways that people talk about it and and there's ways that people cope with it from the egotistical mentality like that fear is still going to be there until you recognize that you're not what you think you are. You're not the story that you tell yourself, but you're not going to, you, you can kind of avoid it or disregard it. You know, the reality of death happening. But if you're clinging to the idea of you, I feel like there's always going to be some I don't know, fear, I guess. And again, not to say that I've completely don't fear it, but my it's 
way, 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 way less. And my perception of it is way different than it used to be. And the more that I let go of the idea of me being solely Andrew, like there's, there's so much more freedom and relaxation that comes with that. But the, the stories we tell ourselves, the perception of division, the idea that we're, we're an individual separate from everything kind of reinforces all of the fears that we experience because we, we feel like this is something that we have to maintain and do and control and have power over as opposed to being able to let go and recognize that it's always happening. You know, we're always happening. You don't have to worry whether your heart's going to beat or your food's going to get digested. It's all happening just like you and everything that's happening in your life. And it's as soon as that idea of us comes in, it's like we have to do something. We have to instill effort upon this thing beyond just what's already happening or else we're not doing enough. And then the the negative idea of ourself begins to trickle in. So then we cling to more control as opposed to recognizing that it doesn't actually exist and we don't have to maintain the idea so strongly and, and realize that that's actually the thing that's the root of all of our suffering is that individualized point of view. And like, that's it. Like, that's not to say that that's the key, but it's kind of what it all comes down to is the perception that you are inherently something separate from what is because it's just an illusion. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I had an image in my head while you were talking. And so bear with me for anybody watching this on the video. I have terrible artistic skills, just so you know. But if you were to take a piece of paper and you may see there are two faces on that piece of paper. Okay. So you could look at those as two different people right? They're two different people. Maybe they're having a conversation between the two of them. Maybe one face is talking to the other face and they both perceive themselves to be separate, but they're both on the piece of paper. They're both, in fact, still the piece of paper. Nothing is divided. It's just that we have the perspective that they're divided, but they actually never stopped being the piece of paper. In fact, all of that white space is potential people. And you are the paper, all that ever will be drawn or undrawn throughout eternity. That's why we're not separate. But it's recognizing that in order to recognize that you're the piece of paper, you have to stop identifying as the drawing. And that's the trick. That's what would people that's what people talk about when they talk about, quote, unquote, ego death. And if you're not watching this on video, I just rolled my eyes while I said the word ego death. And it's because it's not a death, except in the here and now. It is a momentary death in that you surrender your commitment to it as truth. That's it. It's not that the ego suddenly disappears because it's your ticket to existence. The perception of division, that there is an I to experience, quote unquote, reality is necessary for you to experience anything. So it's not about killing it or getting rid of it. It's just about recognizing that that's all it is. That's all it is. It was never the truth. It was never indicative of you or your value or your potential. 
None of it. That's it. You recognize that, you're free. It's not about not having an ego. It's about recognizing that you are not your ego. It's just your ticket to ride. Absolutely. That's all it's all it's ever been. And it's uh yeah, because as soon as you know the ego death statement is just always so funny. Cause as soon as as soon as you say I had an ego death, it's like you're using your ego and it's never been anything bad. It's almost like when you use that analogy of the paper and you see the face and, and the other face, it's like thinking that you had an ego death almost like cuts out the face as opposed to recognizing that you're also the whole piece of paper. It's like, no, it's not that you're not that. It's just that you're not only that. And I feel like that's a big place where people get confused because then, of course, they think it means that they're more special. And it's it's fucking hilarious that people get caught up on that and, and kind of put that on their resume, like have had ego death. I am egoless. Like you are so fucking confused, but yeah, it's, it's like cutting out the face as opposed to kind of not dissolving it, but at least fuzzying the edges. So it's like, yeah, you're still that, but it's not what you think. It's never what you think. It's always just what is. And just because you're that doesn't mean you're also everything else. Just because you're the face doesn't mean you're not also the entire page and everything else that's always been and everyone else that's always been. And that completely shifts your perspective on everything because everything we do is is based on the idea, the illusion that we're just the face. Every goal we set, everything we strive for is for me, you know, the idea of me. And so all of your perspectives on everything shift when you recognize that's not all that you are and you start considering your environment significantly more and your environment being just all of reality, like everything you do is, is primarily based on that. You know, obviously there's needs to a degree of this human incarnation, but once those are met, like the concern is for you as reality, not just you as the illusion of what you think you are. Cause as you're striving for that, you're reinforcing all of the suffering and all of the prison as well. So it's not like it's this, uh, what's the word, uh, like super helpful, uh, idea, whatever. I, I can't think of the word, but it's not like it's this super sort of egoless, helpful thing to, benevolent sure that that definitely works uh it's not like this it's this crazy benevolent thing that you're doing when you stop doing everything for this idea because you're actually the reality is you're deriving a lot of benefit through peace and freedom in your life through not focusing so much on you know building a fucking empire for this idea because there's always going to be suffering that balances out the desire for control, the false sense of certainty, the power that comes with focusing everything on you. So as you let that go, like you're going to experience a lot of benefit. It's not just like this, this thing where you're just helping everyone else. And it's, it's in a sacrifice. It's not a sacrificial thing. 
by any means. It's a letting go of the illusion, but there's a lot of benefit to you. Like you can kind of think of it selfishly, which can maybe help you let go of it, but it's that false sense of control that you have to let go of, that false sense of certainty, that that desire to be perceived by other people in a in a positive light because you see that you're just perceiving yourself in in a certain light as you let that go. But the the benefits are kind of incomprehensible to the egotistical mindset. Like actually experiencing freedom is not something that the egotistical mentality can really do because everything it does is reinforcing the prison, reinforcing the prison of identity. And so as you let that go, like you can actually experience freedom, but you got to let it go. But yeah, like the point I'm trying to get across is there's a lot of benefits to letting go of that idea. It's not just a sacrifice. It's actually really beneficial to the reality of you. And it makes things really cool. Not gonna lie. Like I find reality fascinating. I'm still chewing on the piece of paper that I was going through earlier. So let's go back to that for a quick second. Let's imagine that that piece of paper that those faces are quote unquote drawn on isn't actually a piece of paper, that it's nothing but just vibrating energy. And so the drawings aren't necessarily drawings. There are differences in how that energy vibrates, right? But the energy also vibrates in a lot of other ways, right? It vibrates in ways that create the scenery on that piece of paper, right? The ground, the trees, the rocks, the sky, all of that stuff, all of which is a different vibration. That's all it is. We say it's a different drawing, but it's just a different way of the energy of the paper, quote unquote, paper vibrating. And that shows it in a different way. So you see, when you start looking at it all that, and you start to realize that the faces and the scenery are the same thing expressed in a different way, represented in a different way, experienced in a different way. Then you start to recognize that it's not that we're all the same piece of paper, that the piece of paper itself is more like your flesh. It's more like you, the reality of you. And that we are all actually so connected that we are the same body. See, saying it, we're the same piece of paper makes it sound conceptual and, and easy to digest. But when you start recognizing that you don't end at your skin, that it's your perception that skin is what you are that makes you perceive yourself as ending there that the walls around you are just as much an extension of your body as the hair on your arms, that the world around that is just as much an extension of your body as any other part of you, except that it's vibrating differently. It's expressed differently, but it was never separate. It's always been you. And that is what Jesus was talking about when he said, this is my body and this is my blood. This is all you, all of it. It's just that you have a, a small, limited perspective of yourself. That's all it is. You've just become attached to a certain face in this, mix, in, in this mix of energy soup. That's all it is. And that's okay. But recognize that. Recognize that you are never just that singular expression. You are the whole thing. You're all of the expressions. Changes how you appreciate the expression that you are. 
And that actually kind of, kind of comes down to a question that somebody asked right here. How do you get rid of physically uh, physical insecurities when you know there's really no reason to be insecure? I, I think it really depends on, on your perspective. I mean, to some degree, because your brain's comparative, your brain's always going to compare, which means you're never, ever going to get rid of those thoughts of comparison to other people. It's always going to be there. So no matter which part of you you're looking at, you're going to compare it naturally to everybody else's. If you have a certain type of foot, you're going to compare it to other people's feet. If you have a certain height, you're going to compare it to other people's height. You're going to look at everybody else's opinion because your brain is an incredible machine and it takes in all the information that it can and it does so to process it through comparison. You're always going to have those thoughts. Knowing that helps. Knowing that it doesn't reflect the truth, that it's just your brain trying to piece together information based on assumptions and superficial observations means that it's not really about you. That, that's the important part. The second thing is to recognize that if you look to other people to validate you physically, who? Who are you looking for? Are you looking for people who have the same tastes that you do? Are you looking for people who have different tastes than you do? Are you looking for people who are attracted to a different variety of people? Because it depends, right? Physically attractive is one of those things that's totally subjective. It really depends on everyone. This is something that Sean T was saying in our episode recently when we were talking about this, was it's important to you, right? Being physically attractive is important to you, but that means it's also defined by you. Right. So if you are happy with yourself, if you recognize that nobody can actually see you, they're only ever seeing things through their own preferences and their own perspectives and whatnot, and that the person who does see you as attractive is doing so more than likely because they've managed to stop thinking about themselves enough to see who you actually are, then those are the people you think about. You don't worry about everybody else judging you because more, more often than not, they're insecure and they're seeing you through their insecurity. So they're never actually judging you. That helps. It helps to recognize that people aren't actually judging you. If they're judging, it has nothing to do with you. Amen. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there comes a point too where it's just like you recognize the suffering that you're causing yourself by wishing things were different than they are based on your insecurity. Like that was a big thing for me. I had a number of things that I was insecure about that like haven't necessarily changed but just my perspective of them have changed it's like all right i'm experiencing a lot of suffering because i'm resisting this or some of it was because people would make fun of it you know and so it's it's both a combo of in yourself being like i don't need to keep perpetuating this suffering through resisting this thing that's not going to change here comes a point where you're just like, I'm just done resisting this. I'm just going to go about my life. And, you know, beyond that, recognizing that it doesn't actually have anything to do with the the reality of what you are and, and the person who may judge you for it is also you doing so. Um, and then also recognizing that anyone who does make fun of you for it, as Ray said, is just perpetuating or, or expressing their own insecurities. They don't feel great. In themselves they're trying to pull you down to the level that they're feeling because they don't see a way to feel any better besides just trying to level the playing field in a way like they're not feeling very good they're 
experiencing a lot of suffering in their life. And rather than looking within and facing that, they look without and try and find other people to bring down to their experience. Because then by comparison, like we're always doing, they feel better. If they feel like they're, you know, 10 degrees below everyone else, and then they bring five people down five degrees, they're only five degrees below. Or they bring other people down 15 degrees, all of a sudden they're five five above. So it's not that they're not still suffering, but because we're fucking comparison machines, we uh, we see that as, oh, I'm in a better place now. And it's like, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, there was some study done I don't remember it exactly, but it was something along these lines with money. Like, would you rather make a hundred thousand dollars and your five closest friends make two hundred thousand dollars, or would you rather make eighty thousand dollars and your five closest friends make sixty thousand dollars? And most people picked eighty thousand because it was like by comparison. And so that's what we do when we're judging as well, which is just so fascinating that like you would actually experience something with less, like make less money because by comparison, we're making more as opposed to making less because it all comes down to our idea of ourselves. And if we're judging our entire reality and basing how we feel off of that idea, that idea is always in comparison. It's always relative to everyone else until it's not. I mean, it gets to a point where it's, it's maybe it doesn't completely like a hundred percent go away, but it can go from like dictating 90% of your life to dictating 5% of your life. And it's still going to be there because it is a machine that works against, you know, it's always trying to compare and see how you fit in this reality, doing everything it can to, to kind of perpetuate the illusion of division, perpetuate the, uh, yeah, illusion of duality. but. Once you are able to let that idea go and not base your your entire life off of the idea, which always lives in comparison, you start focusing on just your experience and everyone else is doing their own thing and you can't compare to them because you don't know actually what they're experiencing. You don't know how much suffering they're going through in their life. So on the surface, on their social media, it could seem like they're, they have the best life ever. That means absolutely nothing about the reality of their reality. But I, I do find it just absolutely fascinating how much we compare to other people and we would rather you know, be relatively above other people in a lower spot than in a you know lower spot. I'm basing it off money. I get it superficial, but in a higher spot re and relatively lower than everyone else is just so fucking interesting, but so telling how much we live our lives based on the idea that we cling to and how it compares to all the other ideas of everyone else. Well said. Yeah, the teeter-totter of the ego. It can't get out of it. And as long as you recognize it, then that's where the balance comes in but not recognizing it means that you're just in the throes of it without realizing what's happening being pushed and pulled by influences that you don't see so that's always very important we have one more question here uh do you believe in soulmates and so i'm going to touch on this one quickly but i wanted to remind everyone uh that we have a workshop coming up february 4th and february 5th at 7 p.m eastern time it is a dating and relationships workshop it's going to be four hours total two hours each day where we're going to dig into this specific topic dating relationships 
a little bit more about uh, long-term relationships, short-term relationships, and all of that authenticity, how to avoid toxicity. There's going to be a lot in that four hours. But uh, to go to the question, do I believe in soulmates? No. And yes. And here's the fun part about that. So if you're looking for the question, do are two people meant to be together forever? No, I don't believe in that by any means. I don't believe in anything. But specifically, I, I don't see how that could be the case because we're all one. I can see how some stories end up coming together and through work, honesty, authenticity, and growth stick together for their entire lifespan. Now, you could look at them and say, well, they're soulmates, but I'm going to tell you right now, as somebody who's been married for 19 years, there's a lot of work that goes into that. There's a lot of change and growth and surrendering and compromise and not compromise. There's so much that goes into that. So it's not necessarily that you're soulmates or twin flames so much as it means something to you enough for you to continue on, to change and adapt and not hold on to yourself. I wouldn't say that's because you're meant to be together so much as that you're making it mean you want to be together. That's about it. Um, on the flip side, because we're all one, everyone's your soulmate. It really just comes down to the fact that we could all conceivably be together in love but we are separated by time and circumstance. And that's pretty much it. Everyone could conceivably be your soulmate, but perhaps they're not at that point in their life where they resonate with you. Perhaps they're not in a state where they can love you or can love themselves. Perhaps they won't find that state until later on with someone else, which is another version of you, right? So as I said, relationships very much are opportunities to align with another person, not a guarantee by any means. Sometimes you have to go through some of those experiences to learn how to align with another person, to learn more about yourself, right? So no, I, I don't believe in soulmates. And yes, I believe everybody is everyone's soulmate because we're all the same soul. Yeah. The whole idea of soulmates just perpetuates the illusion of division. Like if you think you are what you think you are, then you're going to wonder if there's a, another iteration out there that is is meant to be with you. And it, there's so much narrative to all of this, like the idea that there's this sort of preconceived plan for reality. And this person has been placed in this reality to find you, blah, 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 blah. And as Ray said, like we're separated by, you know, space and time, or at least the iterations of us are so there's a limitation on who you even do end up interacting with like if there's someone living on the other side of the world that you never interact with in your life you know there could be this narrative that oh what if they're what if they're my soulmate it's like maybe i guess and you can spend your entire life looking for the soulmate if you think it's a real thing or you can recognize that as I said, everyone has the opportunity to be anyone's soulmate. And it doesn't even have to be a like, sexual, intimate relationship. Like You can very much just be super good friends with someone. And that someone could be just as much your soulmate. But we have this whole like hallmark love bullshit in our, in our society about like finding the one and this whole like 
story that comes with all of that, that, that kind of romanticizes the idea of someone being out there and, you know, you, you date them for a while and then there's concerns about it and then you leave, but then you spend the next five years, like dating around you're like, Oh, they were, I think they were the one. And then, you know, you, you meet them at an airport some at some point or catch, catch each other's eye. And then that's it. And it's like, Oh, that person, they were my soulmate. And it's like, when you, when you realize that it's all bullshit, all the, you know, one person being your soulmate type thing, you don't fixate on that narrative anymore. And then you're way more free to just be where you're fucking at. You go into, into dates, like, I don't know. You're, you're uncertain. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe any idea I have of my type isn't actually my type. And let's see what happens. Let's see how much I enjoy hanging out with this person. Someone asked me on a, on a Instagram Q and a recently, like, how do you know if you're, you've met the one or you're with the right one? And I was like, uh, do you hang, do you enjoy hanging out with them? Like, that's kind of the extent. It's like, there isn't a one that's going to fit a narrative of what you think is the one. Like right now, do you enjoy hanging out with them? Yes. Okay, cool. Keep doing that until you don't want to anymore. Like it doesn't have to go deeper than that. It can just be that. And dates can just be that. They can just be like, let's hang out and have a good time. It can be just this enjoyable <laughs> experience and it doesn't mean that it has to turn into anything after maybe you become friends maybe you spend the rest of your life together maybe you spend 20 years together maybe you know who knows but we don't have to have anytime you have a preconceived notion about what you think the right person for you is or whether or not this person's your soulmate as soon as you see something that doesn't match your idea of what you think your soulmate is because if you have the idea of a soulmate, you're probably going to have an idea of what that person looks like, acts like, is like in your head. It's going to cut you off from having the opportunity to meet someone you actually vibe really well with if you have that preconceived narrative. Because they're never going to match it exactly. That idea that you have in your head probably most likely does not exist in reality. It's just a made up idea that you have in your head. But as long as you cling to that, it's going to make it a lot more difficult to go into situations and actually be aware of what's happening. Cause then you run the risk too of someone fitting that narrative, but having a bunch of red flags. And because you're just trying to fit that narrative of the person of the soulmate of what you think is right, based on your societal conditioning, based on your family, what they think is best for you based on all these things, they may be doing some really like fucked up shit and really manipulative stuff that you don't even see because you're just trying to fit a narrative. So Anyway, I know this started out as soulmates and finding soulmates and whatnot, but yeah, just uh, be wary of any narrative that you cling to about anyone else and, and the right type of person for you. Just find out for yourself. The, the less narrative you can have, the less ideas about what the perfect person for you is or what your type is you can have going into a situation, odds are the better off you're going to be once you're actually in that situation. Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit more in the workshop, but I just wanted to say that it helps to remember that your brain's ideal partner is largely the result of the ego that's causing your suffering. <laughs> and so 
try and keep that in mind that what you think you're looking for is largely due to your own trouble, the things that you're still dealing with, and, and you're looking for an easy out. That's why you always look for somebody who, who matches certain criteria and not for people who challenge you. Nobody ever thinks like, ah, oh, if only I could meet a partner who disagrees with me regularly, right? And yet that's what you'd learn the most from. That's where the most interesting conversations would come from, right? And it's really important to recognize that, that what you're, what you're looking for isn't necessarily what's best for you, right? And so make the most of each conversation. Stop looking for a certain role in your life and make the most of each and every opportunity to connect. That's really all it is. But knowing that every opportunity to connect is there, there is no need to get to a certain end result. And because of that, you're going you're gonna to avoid a lot of toxicity. Eventually, the person who resonates with you will come, will come along or you'll change until you resonate with them. That's the beauty of this whole tapestry of life, the white page, right? Like we are never disconnected, regardless of our, our perception that we are. So keep that in mind. We are going to wrap up here in five minutes. I just wanted to say that very quickly. If you would like to join us for the next two hours of conversation, you can on Patreon, patreon.com slash dualisticunity, $5 a month. We have a two-hour discussion today. We do two of these every week. So that's eight group discussions per month for only $5 a month. And you get to vote on our weekly community topics episode, which in my, in my opinion is probably one of the best parts about membership because you actually get a say on what we're going to talk about from week to week. Yeah. And you get to bring up the suggestions on, uh, on our discord. There's the whole channel community topics and then the vote happens on Patreon. But yeah, those are, those are always a lot of fun. I'm excited for the, uh, dating and relationship workshop. I feel like there's a lot of ways we can go with that and just, yeah, getting the word out there. Cause a lot of people that's, that's such a common question that I get is about relationships and dating. And I know I already touched on this, but like how wild it is that it's such a massive part of our reality and of our feelings of worthiness or unworthiness are based on how lovable we feel, how much someone wants to spend time with us, how much attention we get all comes down to a perception that we're not enough without someone that, that we lack here now with, if someone's not telling us that we don't lack, like we can't see it in ourselves. So there's so much depth to the desire to find the right, you know, the right person for you. And at the, at the same time, there's so much opportunity to recognize that and work on it and let go of that because letting go of that can create a lot of freedom in your life. And you can realize, oh, I can actually be happy without needing someone to validate me or not. And then you actually, as, as Ray said, people don't, people don't look for someone who's going to disagree with them. It's rare because that actually creates more and causes more growth and opportunity to change and learn and grow. And people would rather just have someone validate them. But that person they're looking for that validates them, as soon as that validation stops, they feel like they did something wrong or there's something wrong with them or they're missing something. And it very quickly can turn into a super fucking toxic relationship 
And it's very common for that to happen once, you know, the validation ends. Like, oh shit, this was all based on my desire to be validated as opposed to me feeling whole in myself and just sharing that wholeness with someone else. But with that too, you have to be willing to understand that, you know, that may not last forever as well. And uh, there's just like the whole idea of it lasting forever is so many fucking like high expectations. It's nuts. Like it creates, and we wonder why relationships, there's so much divorce. Like it's because we go in with all of these crazy high expectations, but a lot of people like live their whole life based on that. They'll just stay in a relationship out of need and, and sacrifice their entire experience their entire existence. And a lot of time, I mean, part of it's if they're in the church and they believe in all that bullshit, they're going to keep doing it because they're afraid of going to hell, which is crazy. Too. Oh man. There's so many crazy things about relationships, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. We, we definitely have a lot to talk about in general. Um, we are definitely going to wrap up here. I just wanted to say to everybody who's joining us on Twitch right now, Thank you so much. We're up to 225 subscribers on Twitch or followers on Twitch. That's fantastic. We still haven't really figured Twitch out, but we really appreciate you being here and supporting us. Uh, likewise, we have 4,000 followers on YouTube now, which is great. That I remember when we were at 50, 50 and 100, same with Discord, 700 members now. That's incredible. And so to everybody who joined us today, thank you so much just for being you, just for continuing to play the part that you play regardless if you understand what that part might be i don't either i'm just grateful to know that we're in this together i'm inspired to know that you're out there doing what you do because if you're here having this conversation with us then that's usually indicative of where you are and the ripple that you're creating and so thank you so very much do join us on patreon if you can it's so very worth it and again it supports the ripple that we're making so we really appreciate that as well and uh we'll let you go here thanks so much we'll see you next time unless andrew you have anything to add awesome and we're gonna take off we'll see you soon